that we're calling the truth that leads to godliness. Uh, and we're taking a look at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, uh, who was a, uh, a church planner uh, that had been tasked with planting this church in a place called Crete. And Paul, as his mentor, is writing him this letter to give him some guidance, to give him some encouragement, to give him some reminders about what it means to be a pastor and the message that the church needs to hear. And so uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to see him being, being very specific to Titus and his instructions uh, to preach the truth to the church. And uh, here, here's the deal. Paul knows uh, that there are challenges that go along with being the church in a world and in a culture that's not very receptive to the church and not very receptive to Christianity and skeptical to who they are and what they're about and what their agenda is and their purpose. I shared with you last week that Crete was not very much different than the world and the culture that you and I live in. For the world today looks at the church skeptical, uh, wondering what we're up to and if we really have anything to offer this world. And, and so Paul is writing, giving these instructions to, to Titus and various groups in the church. And I don't believe, I believe that God included this letter in the Bible, not just for the church at Crete, but so that all the church would have it uh, from then uh, until now. And it's an interesting piece of the letter that we're looking at today because it's instruction that is targeted to uh, and for, it, well, it ranges from senior adults uh, to young men, uh, from young women and homemakers to even uh, workers and people in the business community. And so before we start digging into these instructions, that I'll be perfectly honest with you, are a little bit of a struggle, a little bit of a challenge. They just seem kind of routine and kind of mundane as we began to go through them. But I want to look at how Paul frames these instructions prior to the instructions given are found in verses 2 through 10. But he says this in verse number 1 there in chapter 2. He says, you, he's talking to Titus. He said, you, however, must teach what is appropriate and sound doctrine. Okay, Titus, as a pastor, this is your duty. As a pastor, this is your responsibility because the rest of the world is trying to influence the church to think a different way. The rest of the world is trying to influence the church to mold themselves into the image of the world instead of God molding them into the image of Christ. And so, Titus, it's important that you preach the truth and that you teach uh, the truth. And, and because, uh, like we learned last week, Paul reminded us that it is the truth that leads to godliness. And, and so last week we learned that the truth of God's Word, the truth of what God's grace does in our lives, in our families, and in our church, it causes us... The truth will always cause you to look upward at the glory and the beauty of God who saved you. The truth will always cause you to look backward at the price that was paid for 
your life and for your sin. The truth will always point you to look forward to where He is taking you, what He has prepared for you, and who He is shaping you and who He intends for you to be in the days ahead. And so he tells Titus, he says, teach the church these things. These things are an appropriate response to God's grace and these truths. In fact, at the end of the list, in verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Or instead of for, you could read that this morning. Because, because, do these things because the grace of God has appeared. Don't miss this. These things, these truths are a response to the grace of God in our lives, at work in our lives. Paul's telling Titus, teach them that everything in our lives is to be shaped by our experience with grace. Not just our Sundays. Right? Not just our times to come together as a church, but every single thing in our lives as followers of Jesus must be shaped by our response to this grace that we have been freely given and the love of God. And, and so, I, you know, I know I talk, talk about this a lot, but I don't believe that it can be emphasized uh, enough, but Christianity is not a list of things to do. And sometimes we read through what we're going to look through today and go, oh, another list, right? It's not a list. Don't look at this as a list of, uh, of things to do. It's not, Christianity is not about working harder. It's not about a set of morals that we have to somehow master and make an A on the test of, all right? It, it's not a set of rituals that we adopt this part of our lives. From when you start this journey with Jesus, from the time that you started your journey with Jesus until you finish your journey with Jesus, it's a response to His grace. It's a response to what He's doing in your heart and in your soul. And so now we're going to see how Paul translates uh, that response to grace in just normal, ordinary, day-to-day living, how that looks, right? I used to tell our teens all the time as a youth pastor, you know, if God's Word doesn't help you with everyday life, if it's not helping you when you walk out these doors and you go home to that you know, dysfunctional family or, or, or you walk into a school that's going to, you know, try to influence you and teach you other things besides the things of God or to that job that you have to go to that's challenging that you can't hardly stand but you have to do it anyway. If God's Word is not helping you in your everyday life, then we're not presenting it to you correctly. Alright? It, it's because God's Word is here as a help to us and it should help us in our normal routine day-to-day way of living and so Paul's telling Titus he's saying remind them of these truths in the normal everyday mundane routine of life and so let's look at how this applies to us today as the church again it's very similar to the culture that we see in Crete uh, 
a culture who is skeptical of the church and Christianity. So Paul's instructions starts out, instructions for everyday living. I believe there's something here for everybody here this morning. Starts in verse 2 and he says this, Teach the older men to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, to be self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. So he says, Titus, here's the truth. This is what the response to grace will look like in these different areas of your church. And I'm going to start out with the older men. And first off, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to stereotype any, anybody here today, especially older men. Uh, but what we're going to kind of look at is what each age group that Paul addresses. Maybe some of the temptations that may be specific to their age and to their season of life that they're living in right now. Now, the first question that I see here in reading this is, who is Paul considering older men? <laughs> right? I, I mean, where, where is, where's the line for that? This older men thing. You know, so I, I studied it because I was, that was the first question I had to answer when I started reading this. Who are old men? Do I fall in the old men categories? Basically what I wanted to know. And so I studied it. And scholars say that a young man is classified as anyone between the ages of 18 and 53 years old. And okay, I just made that up <laughs> because I'm 52. I look every bit of 72 and today feel every bit of 102. So we won't go there. So we don't know, but we just know Paul is speaking to older men. Call it what you want. Uh, but what, what does Paul say to the older men? Well, you know, a, a lot of what he says, he repeats to the other groups. There's a lot of things that he covers with every, every group uh, in the church. But the one instruction he gives uniquely to older men is in that very last part there where he speaks to endurance. And, and scholars say that, that Paul would have been teaching to these older men this, this idea of endurance because he knows that one of the temptations for men, especially as they get older and they grow older, is that maybe in the last third of their lives, they begin to get tempted to just coast to the finish line. Right? Because, you know, they may feel like that, that they've done enough, they've worked hard, they've poured a lot into the church... They've spent a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And, you know, basically young men are coming up in the church and they need to take over. They need to step up. It's time for the old men with the sore backs to be able to sit back and relax and watch and see the next generation take over. You know, and also the tendency may be to start thinking about themselves later in life. We're going to see this a little bit later, but hey, should be as no surprise to any woman here. Men think that it all ought to be about them. Uh, not only does it happen late in life, it happens early in life. Uh, my wife would say that it's been all my life, 
Um, but men, as they get older and they begin to retire, they begin to want to focus on their time and their interest and their hobbies. And so they're hesitant to, you know, commit themselves to the things that they used to be willing to commit themselves to, especially when it comes to the things of the church. And Paul is saying to the older men here, to endure, to have endurance. So what's he saying by that? He's saying stay in the game, right? Because as long as God is still putting his breath in your lungs that we sung about earlier, he's not finished with you. As the body of Christ, we've talked about it so much, the body has so many different parts. And when a part of the body retires before it's dead, you know, it affects the entire body. And so Paul is saying, hey, practice endurance. Finish the game. Finish the race. He speaks to this often throughout his writing. But here specifically, he's telling Titus, remind these older men to finish. And, and, and he also talks about being self-controlled. You know, not just thinking about what your needs are, but to continue to think about the needs of the church and the needs of the people around you and future generations. And can I just tell you this morning, your legacy is not how much money you're going to leave in your bank account when you're dead and gone. Because let me tell you something. Here's what's going to happen. Your kids are going to go through that faster than you, anybody could ever imagine. After they have fought over it, you know. Here's what I've told my kids. And this is the honest truth. And they know it's true. And it's going to be true. When I die, I'm going to have one dime left in my name. And I'm going to swallow it right before I go. <laughs> I earned it. And I'm going to spend it. And I'm going to enjoy it. My legacy is not going to make my kids rich. My legacy is going to be, here, kids, earn your own way. I had to. My dad died, and all I got was the payment book to his pickup truck. Ain't leaving you nothing. Our legacy is not in what we leave monetarily and materially to our families and to our kids. Right? But instead, in response to this amazing grace that you and I have received and that you and I have been blessed by. You know, enduring to the end, leaving a legacy for our kids and our families and our church that they will see that we never quit. We didn't retire. We may retire our job, but we didn't retire as Christians because there's no retirement plan when it comes to that. Until we walk on streets of gold, then we can retire, right? And what a retirement plan that is, huh? And so, you know, we, we have got to be diligent as older men, seeing the kingdom of God uh, continue to be built, built. And yes, encouraging these younger uh, people in carrying that off. Paul says, be sound in faith. Don't be cynical, uh, especially of the younger generations, just because you don't understand them. And they're different. Can I tell you older men something this morning? When you were young, they didn't understand you either. Hello? I, I kind of got tickled as I was preparing for this. I was, I, I was uh, 
talking to some older guys, and, and they were working their job, and they're way beyond retirement years, but they're still doing it. And uh, one of the guys was beginning to tell me, he was like, yeah, he said, all of us, all of us old guys, he said, they're retiring and stepping out a little at a time. And he said, it's making it hard. And he said, I'm thinking it's about time for me to hang it up. He said, because I'm going to tell you, he said, these young people they're hiring, they work harder at trying to figure out how to get out of work than they do working, right? I don't get it, you know, and he was just yan, 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 yan about younger people. Don't be cynical. Don't be cynical. It doesn't look good on you, and it doesn't look good on Jesus. People are watching you. People are paying attention to the words you say and how you act, and not only how you treat people of your own age, but the people much younger of you that you have trouble understanding. Maybe if we just sat down and had a conversation with them, we might understand them a little better. Listen, God's promises, they're still true. They have not changed. God resurrected Jesus from the dead. He's still alive today. And he still has a plan for his church. And he's not going to give up on it. So older men, don't you give up on it either. Don't you give up on it either. Don't stop. Stay in the game. Finish strong. And then Paul moves on. He goes to the next group, verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women. To be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. But to teach what is good. So what does it mean to be reverent in the way that you live? Well, I believe it looks like a beautiful response to God's grace in our lives. One commentator pointed out this. As, as, as I read this, I kind of struggled, and so I went and read what some other scholars and other people wrote and how they, you know, what they felt like Paul was saying here to Titus in this because I, I did not want to offend older women. Uh, of all the people in the entire world, don't offend older women, all right? Um, but uh, one commentator pointed out this. I didn't, just so you know. That older women can sometimes quit caring about what people think when they get older and they lose their filters. Amen. That was not the appropriate place to say amen. Frank, good, great. Door hitting. I'll give you permission. I don't know if anybody's noticed, but older women are more prone to speak their mind. <laughs> Perhaps this was Paul's point of not being slanderers. But seriously, as we all probably know some people that relates to, but on the other end of that spectrum, we also know some very sweet, beautiful older ladies whose words are a pleasure and a treasure, and it's almost like they're spoken and they're dripping with honey, right? That doesn't just happen. That is a response to the love and the goodness of God and a response to the grace that they've allowed in their lives over the year to shape them and mold them 
and make them into something beautiful? The image of Jesus. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't just happen. And so, so what they do in, in, in these, these ladies that are so godly and are so beautiful to us in their later years, they live this out day to day. And they don't gossip. And they don't slander other people. And they teach what is good. And I believe the comment on wine is self-explanatory, so we're moving on. So Paul tells Titus to be sure, teach the older men, be sure to teach the older women. And then he moves on to verse 4. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. And on the surface, this makes some of you cringe. Right? Because it seems that Paul here is making some controversial comments and uh, just to the younger women. It has the appearance that he's a male chauvinist. Has the appearance that he's all about a, a male-dominant uh, society and this way of thinking. But is that really what Paul is saying here? No. That, that's not it at all. Telling them to be busy at home doesn't mean that young women are not allowed to work outside the home. He, he, does, he never says that. Matter of fact, there are multiple places in the Bible where we see examples of women working outside the home. And, and they're, you know, condoned for it. This just means that young women, don't miss this, there's a whole different set of temptations that go with being a young woman versus being an older woman. And this just means that young women, like young men, have a tendency because of their age to neglect the God-given responsibilities that they were born with and born into. All right? As a young woman or as a young mother, you know, a temptation for younger women is this. It's to find fulfillment in other things besides kids and family. Right? This is the temptation of our culture today, is trying to find some sort of fulfillment in their lives outside of their kids and outside of being a, a wife or a mother in, in the home. And there's no denying that God has given women and young mothers particular responsibilities when it comes to the role as a woman. It, it just is. He created women to be more nurturing. Why? So they would bring that to the home. It was an important piece of what a family dynamic would look like. And so there's no denying that we all bring our own responsibilities to our relationships and, and to our home. And any young mother knows that it's these responsibilities and these sacrifices and, and that need to take priority over their life. I mean, really, there's no debating that. So Paul's telling Titus, remind these younger women that their primary goal you know, should not be in fulfilling themselves, but instead to faithfully to serve God and serve their families 
in their God-given roles that God has laid out for them. Because in Crete, which again is very similar to the culture we live in today, these values of God are quite different than the world's values that they're trying to instill in our young women. They're very different, right? Our culture says today that women shouldn't have to be the ones to make sacrifices for their families. That's not on them. And that somehow to think that they should feel that role is somehow degrading to them or devaluing them as a human being or as a person. And that way of thinking, well, it, it tends to cause young women to think of their children and their spouses as more like an accessory in their life rather than viewing their kids and their family as people that they've been called to lay their lives down for and serve. It's this mentality in our world today that if you get pregnant and it's not convenient, abort the baby. Don't let your family get in the way of your career goals because you can get more recognition, you can get more fulfillment out of life from your career than you ever will taking care of kids and taking care and serving your family. But Paul is saying that Christians, on the other hand, don't miss this, response to the grace of God in your lives, they find fulfillment in serving God and serving others. That's where the fulfillment comes from, in the places that He has placed them. And, and that often, if not always, involves sacrifice. It often does. So if for a season in your life, God has uh, assigned you to care for children and to establish and keep a good home for your family, find your fulfillment in knowing that you've been faithful to that. You've been a faithful servant, not in the praise of the world. And while he's saying this to young women, it applies to dads too, by the way. All right, being a dad is a God-assigned role if you have children. And, and so there's some sacrifices that need to be made by the dad as well. You know, because God's plan for you is that you care for and you provide for your children. That is your role as father and dad and, and the, the man in the family. And I know this is hard, uh, this is hard for men. Uh, I just happen to be one, right, because... It, you know, we want it to be about us, but it ain't about us. It's hardly ever about us. You want to know the truth about it. We're kind of at the very bottom of the... Men, just so you know, we're the bottom, all right? Everybody else on the ladder is before us, and we're at the bottom. And you're fooling yourself to think that you're at the top. But, look, men, can I, I tell you, especially young fathers, sometimes we have to sacrifice the things we want. Sometimes we have to sacrifice the things that we want to do for the sake of our families and for the sake of our kids. And then, like, all that's not controversial enough, Paul is, <laughs> you know, he goes on to say, and urge younger women to be subject to their husbands. You know, and don't miss this, this has nothing to do with men being more superior than women. 
Now, people outside the church or non-Christians or people who've allowed the culture of our world to influence their lives, they would point to this and and say, this is exactly why Christianity and everything in the Bible is archaic, right? It does not apply to the world that we live in today. And people would take statements like this and go, see, there you go. That's just pure stupidity. Right? But, but this, this has everything to do, this isn't about men being superior, but it has everything to do again with these roles and these positions that we were assigned when we were assigned our gender, which, oh, by the way, God assigns. All right? And, and living those roles out according to the gospel as a reaction to the grace, to love God and to love others as ourselves. To, to do that in the position that we've been assigned, in the place that we find ourselves in during that season of life. All right, and when we do that, it's beautiful because it shows the character of Jesus, and he's beautiful, right? And so it will be. So the man, you know, having the position as the spiritual leader. Yes, men, step up. We are the leaders, the spiritual leaders of our families and of our homes. Right? So the man having the position as the spiritual leader of the family, it's not about him dominating and controlling his wife. That's not what a relationship with Jesus looks like at all. Okay, So that's not what it's all about. It's not about men being dominant. Okay, In fact, Scripture is clear. The husband is to love the wife the way that Christ loves the church. Well, how much did Christ love the church? So much that he gave his life for her, right? And when a man loves his wife the way that Christ loves the church, and with that kind of love, can I just tell you something? She will be head over heels giddy in love with that man. She will be. Because he's going to make her feel like she is something really, really special. And you know something about a wife who is giddy and head over heels in love with her husband? She'll do anything her husband wants to do. She will. And and so Paul is telling Titus, remind them of their positions. Remind them of, of their responsibilities that God has given them and has placed on them. Because let me tell you something, it is a beautiful example of grace. It's a beautiful example and response of the grace and the love of Christ when we are following His plan for our lives and His will for our families. And that takes us up to verse number 6. Similarly, meaning that the general spirit of everything He said to the other groups now also applies to young men. He says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Because like we saw a couple of weeks ago when we closed out our last series, Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city whose walls have been broken down. Right? It's wide open for the taking when you have no self-control. And if there is one thing about young men, (laughs) hello? Hello? Paul, and Paul knows this, is that young men have a tendency to be driven by their desires. Young men have a tendency to be drawn and driven 
by their desires. One scholar said it like this, being ruled by the desires of your body will murder your soul. Being ruled by the desires of your body will murder your soul. So where does this control come from? Well, we learned it last week. It comes from the grace of God doing a work in our lives and saying yes to the grace of God, we learned this, will help us and teach us to say no to ungodliness and the things of the world and the lust of this world. Paul's telling Titus to speak the truth to the old people. Paul says, speak this truth to the young people. Why? Because it's the truth that leads to godliness. And then he goes on and skip down to verse 9. He starts out saying, teach slaves. What this actually means, a better translation of this would be to anyone who works. Alright, so we often read this and we say, well, he's talking about slaves. We don't have slaves anymore. Well, no, this really applies to anyone that works or has a job. Alright, so... Teach them to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that every, in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Don't miss this. Our work, our jobs should put our love for God on full display in how we do that job and how we work for our employer and how we run our own businesses and how we work beside that co-worker beside us. You know, and Paul is speaking to our attitudes here about work. He's speaking to our attitudes here about our jobs that should be a result and a response to the grace of God that's working in and through our lives. And the truth is this. On the job, Christians of all people will be people of integrity. Christians of all people, should be the most trusted person at any job, in any workplace, at any job site. We won't steal from our job. And I'm not just talking about embezzling money or taking office supplies home. Right? Integrity is also about not stealing time from your employer. Time that they're paying you for to serve them, to honor them, and to bless them. It's not just doing, folks, it's not just doing the minimum to get by. All right? We are to be a blessing. And we are to try to bless people, yes, even at work. The people we work for and the people we work with. The Bible says that we are to work as if we are working for God in our jobs. 
We are to do it as if we are doing the work that we're doing for God himself. Would that change the way we view our job if we did it that way? The way the Bible says we should be doing it. And if you work like this, you know, if you're a person of integrity uh, and character, and you have a strong work ethic, people notice that. People are paying attention. They, they see that. And let me tell you something else that it would do. When you're the, most, you're the person with the most integrity on the job, when you're the hardest worker on the job, when you're the most dedicated to the job, when you're doing the best that you can possibly do on the job, can I just tell you that it will open up opportunities for you to share about Jesus? It will. Uh, I, people, people aren't really going to be interested in what you have to say about Jesus if you're not these things, right? If you're constantly fudging on the timesheet or, you know, you're, all, you're working harder to get out of work than you are working, you know, and they look at you and they don't know if they can trust you. They don't know if they can depend on you. Can I just tell you this? They don't give a rip about your Jesus. You have no credibility at all when it comes to speaking about things that relate to Christ. They're not going to listen to you. They have no respect for you because of your work ethic and the way that you do your job and the way that you run your business. But when we are the best boss or we are, you know, the, the best employee, they're going to want to know what drives you. They're going to be curious about that. Why do you work so hard? Why are you so committed? Why are you willing to work all the way to 5 and still to 445? Why do you do the things you do? <laughs> Glad you asked. Because I'm not working for that guy signing the check. Yeah, I want to be a blessing to him, but I'm working this job because God's word says that I'm doing it for the glory of God. How much glory is your God getting out of your work and your business? I want to give you an example of this that is really hits home right here in our local church. We had a new family that came to visit not long ago. I always ask new people uh, when I meet them, number one, why would you move to Greenbrier? I still don't understand that, but I get it. School. I got it. I finally figured it out. It's a school. It's nothing else but the school. But uh, I always ask people, why you move to Greenbrier? And then when they come and visit us at church, I'll always ask, why did you come to Nazarene Church? Why did you come visit us? So I asked this young couple that had come for the very first time. I met them, talked to them. I asked them, I said, why did you come to church? Why did you come to this church? A lot of great, awesome churches in Greenbrier. Why did you come to this one? And the husband said this. He said, well, I work with a guy in the factory that I work in. And he said, he's a really great guy. And I said, oh, he invited you to come? He said, nope. He never invited me one time to come to church. I was like, well, number one, bad on him. But he said, but I just thought, man, if, if the people in that church are like that guy, I'd be willing to give that a try. So I turned to his wife, and his wife said, yeah, I work with a guy that goes to church there too. And she said, and he's just a really, really nice guy. You can always count on him. He's well-respected, you know. And so don't miss this, folks. They both had been watching you. 
They both had been watching, you know, these Christians at work. And they liked what they saw, and so they decided to come and give it a try. They both were saved and baptized. What you do at work matters more than you know. Folks, it, it, it makes a difference how you live your life. It makes a difference how you conduct yourself in your job and in the business that you run. If you're running a business and you're making promises to do one thing and you're doing another or you're not doing what you said you were going to do, people have no interest in your Jesus whatsoever. So we should be the best. We should be the best of the best. And so Paul has instructed Titus, he says, teach these truths to the church. Why? Because it's these truths that leads to godliness. And so just to summarize this passage, because I know it's been kind of like a shotgun blast. It's just like, got everybody today, right? And as mundane and, and, you know, as, as this message may appear, Paul felt that it was important that Titus share this with the church. In this very short letter, he spends all this time speaking to, to these things. And, and, and so it, it's important today that we as the church, that we receive it as well today. Because the bottom line is this, living our lives under His Lordship will make us different. Living our lives under His Lordship will make us different. And folks, that's the greatest witness that you and I have. You might not ever even have to invite them to church. They may just come because they've been watching you. These values that Paul's reminding us of here our stark difference between the values of our culture today. Right? Tim Chester, the guy I referred to last week that wrote a book about this letter to Titus, he says this, People may not like it when we talk about self-control and submission, but they find it attractive when we live it. Why do they find it attractive? Because you look like Jesus. So this is huge for us as his followers, right? You know, look at your marriage. Look at your family. Look at your work as a platform for bringing glory to God. You know, and, and yes, this teaching, that what we've been through today is, I mean, honestly, if you're just reading through it, you would probably just skip it. Because it's just mundane, it's just normal, it's just everyday stuff, it's a little controversial, it's about family relationships and work. But here's the deal. We often think that God does great, His greatest work, you know, and, and we think of great Christianity as revealing itself in these dramatic roles and these huge sacrifices that we've got to make. You know, to be uh, great followers of Jesus, then I've got to, you know, go to the mission field and live in a third world country and make a huge sacrifice like that. Or I've got to surrender my life to, to, to ministry. 
You know, and yes, God does great things through missionaries and does great things through preachers and, and ministers, but don't miss this. God often does His greatest work in your house. God often does His greatest work in our homes and in our families and on the job. He, he needs missionaries, yes. He needs ministers, yes. He needs them to go all over the world and spread the gospel. He definitely does. But he also needs people of God to respond to this grace and what we think is the mundane and what we think is the routine and what we think is the ordinary. And don't miss this. Your relationship with Jesus can be best measured by the relationships that you have at home. Your relationship with Jesus can best be measured by the relationships that you have at home, and that you have at work, and in your private life. And so there's a question that I believe this brings us to this morning by this mundane, ordinary text today, and it's this. If your faith was judged only by your relationships at home, how would you measure up? If your faith was judged only by your relationships at home, how would you measure up? One teacher said it like this, it is the mark of a hypocrite to be a Christian everywhere but at home. But don't see this today as some sort of negative rebuke, okay? Because it, it, it's not that. Look at these ordinary things. You know, as a, as a platform for God to display extraordinary power. Through these ordinary things, He wants to do extraordinary things, right? And these things, these truths are what produces this godliness, in our hearts, in our lives. Don't, don't look at this list as a new to-do list, a new checklist, okay? Don't look at it like that because that's not what it is. These things are just natural fruits of the gospel. These things that Paul is telling Titus to remind us of, they're just a natural response to the grace of God working in our lives. It's not a checklist. It's not a list of rituals or morals that we got to master or memorize. This is what the fruit of the gospel looks like. And this response to grace looks like. And when you look upwards to the glory of a God who saved you, and you look backwards to the price that he paid, and you look forward to what he's making you into and where he's going to take you, all of these things will just be a fruit from your heart. They will grow so naturally when we get our focus right. And we allow this grace to take root in our hearts and in our lives. It's these truths, my friends, that leads to this godliness that Paul speaks of. This morning we're going to close uh, with a time of prayer. and uh, I invite you to come. Our altars are open to you. There's something that you would like to come and pray about this morning. Maybe a situation. Maybe a friend. Maybe a job. Maybe, you know... There's lots of things going on in our church. I mean, 
just before and after church this morning in the in the first service it was just one person after another after another after another telling me the struggles and the things they're going through and the things that they're facing god we've been invited to bring that to the throne and so this morning maybe you need to take a step forward and bring some of those things that you've been struggling with or battling to the throne maybe you want to come and pray uh, intercessory prayer for someone else I invite you to come We've got a prayer chest up here I saw a young lady this past Wednesday night come down from uh, our team group made her way to that prayer chest put another one in there so maybe somebody would like to come pray over that today but this morning let's close our time together here with this invitation to go to the throne room invite you to come. God, it's so good to be in your presence, to be in your house with your people. God, as I've been reminded every day for some time, just because they're children of God doesn't make life any easier here. And there's diagnosis. There's unexpected turmoil. There's betrayment. People giving up that shouldn't be giving up. People walking away that shouldn't be walking away. Life's hard and it's not always fair. But God, we still have the hope of your love and your presence and this grace that Paul has been trying to remind us of the last few weeks and the power of that grace at work in our lives. And it may not make the next step any easier. It may not make the next decision any clearer. But God, we know that we're taking that step with you. God, we look upward to the glory of the one who created us and blessed us and gave us all that we have and all that we are. We look backward at the sacrifice and the price that you paid for our sins on the cross of Calvary and we can't understand it. We can't even comprehend that kind of love for someone else but yet you gave us the example of how we're to live our lives as sons and daughters of God 
yes, it is a sacrifice. Yes, it will feel like a sacrifice sometimes. It's about humbling ourselves and laying down our lives for others. And that can be tiring. God, with your help, we'll be exactly who you've called us to be. With your strength, we'll be able to do everything that you've called us to do and you've assigned to us to do. I thank you for this reminder this morning, just simple, normal things that sometimes we need to be reminded of. We all, we all every one of us has a role in the body of Christ. Every single one of us has a role in our family. Thank you for these reminders today of where we can lose our focus and get, get off track. But God, you, you understand the need for truth in our lives. And this world's trying to influence us in a different way, and we get that. I just pray that you would help us to have the strength, the knowledge, and the courage not to allow it to influence us spiritually and influence our, our lives and our families in a way that would be detrimental to our eternity and our future. God, we love you today, and I know there's a lot of people here today that are hurting and they're tired and they're wore out. And I just pray that as they leave this place today that they would leave their burdens at the foot of the cross. Our burdens were not made to be carried by us. You said, bring them all to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our hope is in that. Our hope is in you, not in how well we can carry everything that's going on. So we trust you. We trust you with the future because we're looking forward to who you want to make us into how you want to use this for your glory, how you want to use this to build the kingdom. So God, as we walk out these doors today, I pray that people would see us, that people would look at the lives that we live, whether it be how we walk down the hallway at school, how we talk in the locker room, how we conduct ourselves on our job. I pray that they would look at us and know there's something different about us. And that would open up an opportunity for us to be able to share with them why we're different and how we're different. And it's by and through the grace of God working in our lives. Pray for these names in this prayer chest today. It's full of names and situations that only you are aware of. We pray for each one who's in there that you would just, even now, open up a door of opportunity for somebody to be able to be an encourager and influence in their lives in a, in a good way. Be able to share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ to them. And they would be receptive to that. God, today we just love you. We thank you again for loving us. I pray that you'll go with us now. Help us to be the church that you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you very much. Don't forget our...